Hello and welcome to another episode of the Playlist Podcast, the podcast where we discuss uh, film news, film reviews, uh, television reviews, any pop culture items we see fit. I'm Ryan Oliver and today with me I have a very special guest, uh, a returning guest to the Playlist Podcast. Uh, He's a writer at Slash Film, at Dread Central, at Bloody Disgusting, Fangoria, Adam Tickets, We Got This Covered, and Flickering Myth. I gotta take a deep breath after that. Matt Zanotto, welcome back to the Playlist Podcast. Thank you for having me back, and I appreciate you reading all those. Uh, I will try to pare that down next time, so you only have to read a few names. <laughs> oh, you don't have to pare it down. Like, if you, if you got your work, flaunt it, man. No worries. Well, no I, worries. I can correct you then and say you also missed sci-fi, you missed fandom. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I missed uh, Silent Night Deadly Podcast. That's right. Are my podcasts as well? Come on. You're slacking here. Hey, but I give you the opportunity at the end of the show to pimp your stuff. You know this. Give me an hour at the end of the show. (laughs) Fair enough. Before we get the show kicked off proper, a little bit of housekeeping. The Playlist Podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network. So if you enjoy this show, be sure to subscribe to us on Stitcher, on iTunes, on SoundCloud, however you get your podcasts. And you'll get this show, as well as our other shows, including Adjust Your Tracking, Be Real, Indie Beats. Uh, So with that out of the way, today we're going to talk a little bit of film news and then we're going to dive into, um, I think, was this your most anticipated movie of the summer, or is that just uh, just Twitter hype? Um, it, That's a good question, because, yeah, of course I played it up on Twitter as, like, kind of a joke, but honest to God, I was really excited for this movie. Maybe not my most, most hype, but honest, it was up there. Yeah, no, fair enough. But we are going to be discussing Detective Pikachu. Um, and as always with these larger movies, we will do a non-spoiler section and then get into a little bit of spoilers as there are some stuff that we want to discuss and want to keep you fresh. Uh, but before we dive into our stuff for this week, uh, Matt, I just wanted to ask you, since I do this with most of the guests who come on the show, anything you've watched recently besides Detective Pikachu that you want to give a shout out that you're interested in, uh, anything on your mind? Sure, yeah. Um, I will shout out, really quickly, I did some Tribeca reviews out of Tribeca Film Festival, obviously, and I saw some really interesting Midnighters. I won't call them straight horror. They definitely are horror films, but they're of the subgenre kind of twisty variety. One was called Something Else, which was basically teased as a creature feature, but turns out to be a really affecting romance, and there's a lot of good stuff about modern day romance and how we're dealing with things as our times are changing and whatnot. And it's still a creature feature, but I was just really affected by that film and I I felt really good coming out of it. And then also there was a film called come to daddy, which is Elijah Wood basically going to visit his father in the most basic sense. And from there it turns into this gonzo exploitation. There's, you know, criminals involved. There's a seedy underplot he has to defend him, his father. It, it gets wild, and it's a lot of fun on the midnight aspect. So I want to call those two movies out. And then really quickly as well, uh, Josh Lobo's I Trapped the Devil, which came out, I think, about two weeks ago. But or actually, it came out against Avengers Endgame, which is hilarious, this uh, Christmas horror psychological thriller playing against Endgame. But I really had a good time with it. Um, Lobo does great direction, and... It's a very tight feature debut that I was immensely impressed by. So if you like familial 
uh, psychological thrillers that are also doubling as Christmas horror, check out I Trap the Devil. And that one is available for people to watch now, I believe. Absolutely. That one is yep. on VOD. Uh, it is on my VOD. Yep. Nice. It is on my watch list. It is just sitting there, but it will get watched hopefully by this weekend. Um, yeah. No, I've heard nothing but great things about it. I'm very, very excited. And same with Come to Daddy. I've heard nothing yeah. but great things about it. It's just so wild. I can't. I don't want to say anything about it except that it is wild. I can't wait. I really cannot wait. Uh, has there been a release date set for that or just distribution? No, do I don't know? think any of the tri- – I don't think any of the Tribeca stuff has release dates right now or distribution. So just keep an eye out for obvious you know, little news tidbits and uh, come to daddy, something else, those kind of things. But uh, yeah, I, none of them have been announced as well at this time. Got it. Well, I will definitely keep my eyes out, and listeners, you should keep your eyes out for that as well. Uh, speaking of news tidbits, we have a couple items we wanted to bring up that we thought were uh, worth diving into and worth bringing up. Um, first of which, it was announced, I think yesterday, that uh, Hellraiser reboot or revival, whatever you want to call it, um, is in the works with David S. Goyer, who worked on the Dark Knight trilogy, who worked on the Blade trilogy, and... Um, I'm hoping it finally actually happens, because uh, there were talks a little... I don't know if you remember this, Matt. There were talks a little while ago that like Clive Barker was producing and overseeing a, a reboot of Hellraiser, and that kind of kind of fell apart. Um, there was talks... I think Jason Bloom said in an interview, there were talks about like potential Hellraiser, and they're like, oh, yeah, that might be something we'd be interested in, um, but apparently Spyglass Media is taking this on. Um, but I would like to see another good hellraiser movie and specifically one on the big screen so I'm, I'm actually really hoping this happens yeah i mean you can go back to even 2006 i was researching a little bit when the news came out and they even had writers lined up then so we're talking over a decade ago they had writers lined up to do a hellraiser remake and two writers they had at the time were patrick melton and marcus dunston who you will know from the collector franchise uh the feast franchise and most prominently, their Saw films. I forget exactly which Saws, but there's about three of those films written by them. And I would have loved to have seen their version of Hellraiser. I, I think Goyer's going to have vision. He wants to make it dark and visceral. I think that Melton and Dunstan's would have been this practical effects, just insanity, but also a lot sharper than people would have given them credit for. So I, I really want to see that one still happen some way down the road. Uh, just for Melton and Dunstan so they can get the kind of dreadful existential uh, reputation that I think they could deserve. That would be great, and and hopefully this one takes off and maybe they'd, they'd have an opportunity to do a, a sequel to it uh, somewhere right. online. Would be would be awesome. Um, I'm just hoping that, because um, this franchise, I don't think this franchise has been theatrical since 96, I want to say. I no. think Bloodline was the last one. It was, yep. uh, yeah, and then they've just been straight to DVD and and have been a very steady decline in quality. And uh, you know, I I, I get I, I think you could say what you want about reboots, you could get iffy about them, but if I, I think if there's one franchise that probably should and deserves to be, it'd be Hellraiser. Yeah, I agree. Um, just like you just said, it's just been a downward slide of VODs and Blu-ray releases for Hellraiser ever since. Even, you know, the last one that came out was uh, Judgment, and I know it has a few defenders, but I couldn't, I could barely sit through it. It, it is just not up to the quality standards. The gore is 
has become the focus and the story takes a back seat that doesn't matter, which yes, Hellraiser was always gory, but it was also about that masochistic, sadistic, really just vile kind of storytelling. And to have them both together, that's the affecting part of Hellraiser. So I do hope that Goyer brings that back. I am curious that they're calling it a quote, evolved reimagining. Yeah. I, I don't, <laughs> want to hear that because that makes me think immediately of you know the the phrase that we don't like to say that i won't even say about horror films but <laughs> don't say it. That, i'm not gonna say it but the one that tries to get around calling it a horror film because in my mind it's like you're making a hellraiser reboot you damn well better be making a horror movie um so i do hope that's not a way of getting around that and also it is funny to me because when i hear evolved reimagining I would love to see uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who have done Spring, Resolution, and The Endless. If you're going to do an evolved reimagining of Hellraiser, I think those are the guys that should do it. I would second that. I, I'd also even throw uh, Panos Cosmatos in that mix as oh, well. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, but yeah, here's hoping that – A, hoping it happens. B, hoping that they're not tiptoeing around it being a horror movie because it's Hellraiser. It's Clive Barker. It's, it's Pinhead. <laughs> it's literally – the one. he's a horror icon. If you, Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> Absolutely. So hopefully, hopefully it again. Hopefully it happens. Hopefully it's good. Um, but I'm 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 cautiously optimistic and open to whatever they do with it. Is as long as it's uh, at least similar to uh, Barker's vision. Um, one thing I'm uh, open to, and okay, if it's not similar, is the other thing we were going to talk about. Is um, I think this was just announced today that. Uh, Anna Lily Omnipore, Omnipore, excuse me, mispronouncing that name. Uh, she did uh, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night and The Bad Batch is, has been tapped to direct a female-led reboot of Cliffhanger, the 1993 uh, Rennie Harlan movie starring Sylvester Stallone. And uh, I know that movie has its fans. Um, I'm not necessarily one of them. And um, I, I love this director. I wasn't crazy about The Bad Batch, but I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in the movie uh, and i just absolutely love a girl walks home alone at night um i think this could be a lot of fun yeah the pick of anna lily airport was interesting to me just like you said she is such a visceral storyteller and her imagery is what stands out in her films not really the action as much so that's going to be interesting to see how she takes to cliffhanger and does a female kind of led action movie there I, i'm not doubting her I just think it's a very inspired choice, and I am I am very curious to see this output. And, you know, I know everyone's throwing around names already, and everyone's like, oh, Gina Carano, Zobel, uh, uh, Ronda Rousey, they all have to be in it. And it's like, yeah, that's all well and great, but I want to see Samara Weaving in this movie. Oh, hell yeah. No, I think the... All the people mentioned are good, but those would be very obvious choices. Like, right. like to pick some out of the box stuff. Um, I was gonna say, speaking of like her imagery standing out more so than the action, and you mentioned Gina Carano. I was actually gonna say, I, I hope the sort of style of this movie. I don't want it to be exactly like a Soderbergh movie, but I'd love it to be something <laughs> like like Haywire, where it's like a really arty action movie, uh, like really downbeat um, and is like really well shot, but is like super striking and not as like action heavy i think that could be really cool um who knows if that's what the studio necessarily wants out of it but i i think that could be really interesting 
make it the Haywire sequel we deserve. Yes, yes, justice for Haywire. <laughs> I, will... I, I enjoyed that movie a lot, so I'm right there with you. Yeah, me too. I, I, I will go to bat for it any day of the week. But, um, yeah, this uh, it's interesting. And, um, you know, I guess to me it's like if you're going to remake Cliffhanger, I feel like this is the route to go. Yeah, and, and that's the whole thing of doing a remake or a reboot. Don't just do the same thing again. If you're going to do a remake or a reboot at least have a different angle and have a different vision. And that's exactly what they're doing with this. And like you said before, it's cliffhanger. I know it has its supporters and it has the people who are going to love it, but you're not going to get that rabid fan base who start going like, Oh my God, of course women in cliffhanger, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, you're, you're good rebooting cliffhanger with an all female cast. And it's brilliant. Right. There's, there's no toxic cliffhanger fans out there. And if there is, then we should just cancel the internet forever. Yeah. I mean, we should probably do that anyway, but like hundred percent, if there are toxic cliffhanger stands out there, then I'm, I'm deeply concerned for, uh, the sake of humanity. Um, but yeah, so that's that's really all the news. Is there any other things on the top of your head you could think of that you want to discuss, or should we just move on to uh, Detective Pikachu? Uh, do we want to talk about the New Mutants? <laughs> Is that oh. worth <laughs> the I fact for- that it's never coming out? I forgot entirely about that. Like I I read that yesterday, and it like went through one eye and out the other. Like it, well, because- it was just like, oh, of course, of course, it got. Um, so I guess for, for those who don't know the the movie The New Mutants the the uh, X Men sort of horror spinoff that has uh, Macy Williams from Game of Thrones um, has has a pretty talented young cast. Anya Teller Joy is on, in this. Yes, yeah, thank you. I was I was like it was on the tip of my tongue and I couldn't yeah, think of totally. it. Um, but it's it looks pretty awesome. We got a trailer in 2017. I want to say end of. 2017 it was two and a half years ago the first trailer yes and uh it got pushed back it was supposed to, or no it was supposed to come out in 2017 i think um and then it got pushed back to 2018 then it got pushed back i think to april of this year then to august 2nd and now it's getting pushed back to april 2020 after the disney fox merger um yep. But they did say they were going to give it a theatrical release, though. A lot of people assumed that they were going to sell it off to some streaming service. Um, but they, they said they are giving it a theatrical release. Um, there was said to be reshoots done to the movie. and But there's been reports that like a lot of the actors are like, well, that never happened. We don't know what the hell is happening with this movie. So I'm wondering if Disney actually realized, hey, maybe we shouldn't have this many films released in a calendar year. Um, so that could be it because they pushed back, um, what's the other big movie they had in August? Artemis Fowl. They pushed that back to next year also. So maybe they just decided, oh, this wasn't a good time to do it. But it's, it's insane to me that it will have been three years that that trailer dropped by the time the movie actually comes out, if it comes out. Yeah. I mean, there's a few takeaways here for me on it. I mean, just number one, I still don't believe it's going to go theatrical. I know Disney is pushing it to April 3rd, 2020, saying we're going to give it theatrical. That's fine. I keep sitting here going, no, you're not. You keep delaying it because you don't know what to do with it. In the, but the reality is you have a horror movie and a superhero movie. You have both of those kind of working with you because horror does great at the box office, just pretty routinely. Mm-hmm. Um, everything, Even like The Curse of La Llorona, which we both did not like out of South by Southwest, but that still broke a hundred million and it still did gangbusters at the box office. So the fact that it hasn't come out just based on the return aspect 
of putting a comic book movie out that's also a horror film is just baffling to me. But again, I don't think they're going to. I think they're going to keep pushing it back to figure out how to market it, figure out what to do with it. And then it's just going to hit VOD like quietly one day. I think it's going to go the interview route where I know the interview dropped because of government implications that were kind of out of hand. But I, I don't see the New Mutants ever coming out because Disney's just been, you know, or Fox and Disney now. But Fox didn't know what to do with it immediately. The reshoots you mentioned before were supposed to make it quote unquote scarier. That's what was being talked about, like to really play up the horror aspects. But then just like you said, Josh Boone comes out after that and goes, there were no reshoots. So that also scares me because it's like, did they do reshoots on this film without Josh Boone, the director? So, yeah, it's just all a mess. There's so many conflicting stories. I would love an oral history of the three years from trailer to actual release on this film. Yeah, it's crazy. And I, I, I'm in the same boat as you where I fear that it, it'll be Disney Plus like drop it wouldn't be right a, a, like a, a theatrical one they'd be like oh okay well we'll just put it on our streaming service and now you can go watch it um so i fear that'll happen to it hope again hopefully it'll get us theatrical but it just is baffling i i, I made a joke on twitter that it's going to come out the same day as the animated where the wild things are movie um that like <laughs> do, do you remember that back in the day uh um, i don't even know so uh in front of the ron howard grinch stole christmas in 2000 or 2001 i think i think 2000 there was a trailer uh for an animated where the wild things are um and they were i think universal was like halfway through production or like a quarter of the way and ultimately pulled the plug on the movie and it never came out um but there was a trailer for the movie and so that's basically how i feel about the new moons it's like it's gonna come out when that movie comes out (laughs) fair they will just sit together and dwell but you know there are positive um you know examples like cabin in the woods where things sat and they come out years later and are a hit so i i hope for the new mutants the same things happens yeah hopefully so it's just strange that you've never like cabin in the woods is great and and that ultimately worked out for the movie and I'm sure there are other examples I can't think of quite off the top of my head, but they were sort of, I mean, but they were original properties and then they were given the time later. I, I can't think of the life of me for something that's part of such a brand, um, even if it's just a small like subsection of it, to be part of such a big brand to keep getting pushed back is pretty nuts. Yeah, I mean, even like, you know, talking about big brands like that, Solo was a mess and everyone knew how much of a mess it was and everyone knew the reshoots and everything that went on behind the scenes, but they still churned that out and still got it out. I agree with you. It's just so baffling that a X-Men movie, a comic book movie, a horror movie all in one is not being maximized to its uh, full potential. Agreed. Well, hopefully we can reconvene in April, 2020 and uh, see if this actually happens. You know, just with all the other Avatar sequels. <laughs> that too. Uh, we'll see. We'll be nearly 40 by the time that fifth one comes out, if it comes out. I'll, if I'm even alive by the time the last one comes out, I'll be fucking <laughs> amazed. If we're all alive, even. If, if <laughs> yeah. Earth yeah. is still alive. That's a lot of faith in humanity to make it to 2027. <laughs> uh, I know. Maybe that's the that's the like new James Cameron. He used to be like pessimistic, and now he's like become kind of a hippie. <laughs> and so he's he's optimistic that we'll all he's still be giving around. us hope. He is. <laughs> well, speaking of hope, 
Um, let's let's swing over. Nice, to, nice segue. Thank thank you. I do what I can. Uh, let's swing over to Detective Pikachu. Um, this is a. Uh, I have to look at the director. I'm terrible at hosting. Rob Letterman. Rob Letterman. Um, who I'm not super familiar with. I think I've seen like some of his animated movies, but he did the Goosebumps movie a couple years yep. ago, which I never saw, but heard was surprisingly okay. Oh, I, I love the Goosebumps movie. I think it's a great uh, kid-friendly horror film that could easily be one of those Halloween revisits for like families. Awesome. Well, I'm sure I will see it someday, um, and I, I need to get around to it. Uh, but he directed Detective Pikachu, uh, which is a <laughs> on the surface a pretty strange movie. Um, it's it's about a young uh, aspiring once aspiring Pokemon trainer, uh, now a accountant, uh, played by Justice Smith, who discovers that his dad is in this uh, weird conspiracy, and something happens to him, uh, and he has a. Uh, I'm totally butchering the synopsis of this movie. I saw it like three I was weeks say, ago. Right, <laughs> let me try this for you because it's not really a. He goes to Rhyme City because he f- hears that his detective father has been killed in an accident. So that that's what propels him to go to Rhyme City. And then he finds out that it might be a conspiracy because his father's detective Pokemon partner, Pikachu, shows up and is like, yo, I'm still alive. And they said that I should be dead. So, like, your father's probably still alive. And then that's when the case begins. Right. Who's a talking Pikachu voiced by Ryan Reynolds that only he can hear nobody else can hear him yes so i thank you thank you for picking up the slack here i just watched it (laughs) yeah that's fair i watched it like two and a half weeks ago so i'm like trying to wrap my brain around it but i do feel actually i do feel like i'm getting a little bit ahead i do want to ask you before we dive into it um what has been your uh experience with pokemon in the past like did you play the games did you play the trading cards like what to what extent is your uh relationship with pokemon yeah, um, let's start from the beginning. I mean, when the show came out in America originally, I jumped on board and watched every Saturday or after school, whatever it was. I was watching the show all the time. You know, Red and Blue, the first Pokemon games, I wore them out on my original Game Boy. I kept going like through Yellow, through all those games. I, I even downloaded an emulator in like high school or college. I got bored one day and I was like, huh, like what? I wonder what Pokemon game they're up to. And like, I was like, playing the Pokemon games like in my dorm room like with nothing else to do so I definitely know the Pokemon culture I enjoy it you know even going through the games like Pokemon Snap Pokemon uh, Pokemon Battle Stadium all that stuff yeah I had a pretty decent knowledge of Pokemon and I may not have obviously watched the shows or the animated films as I got older and stuff like that but it's always kind of been part of my culture and it was definitely a part of my childhood Oh, nice. Um, I'm pretty much in the same boat. I watched that cartoon religiously, and I had red, uh, red blue, yellow, um, the N64 games, Pokemon Snap, Pokemon uh, Stadium, and um, so I and I had a funny, funny little sidebar. I did. I collected the trading cards, and I had like I was probably like eight, nine. What I thought was like a really sweet stacked deck. Uh, and I went to um, there was a card shop in in my hometown in the, the small town of St Helens, Oregon. Uh, it's called Bob's Cards and Stuff, and they had a Pokemon tournament. And I, I entered it. Uh, I like took allowance money. I entered it. I thought I had a good deck, and I played like middle schoolers and up. 
and I just got wrecked, just got destroyed. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I was so upset at the time. As like an eight, nine year old, I was just like, uh, the owner of the store, like, bought me a coke and like <laughs> i had to call my mom to come pick me up the <laughs> crushing defeat yeah that's i think that was probably the <laughs> i feel like that was probably the first time i've suffered like a crushing just blow like that um just super fatality yeah just, just done but it was um but yeah so i'm i'm very uh at least steeped in like the original 151 i know them very strongly uh my memory past that is a little bit fuzzy i i did have gold and silver uh, I kind of remember some of them, like Lugia, uh, like Intei, but I don't, like, past that, I don't don't have a lot. But uh, I definitely grew up with those original Pokemon as well. Um, so I was definitely very interested in this movie based on that, because who, when you were that age, to see a live-action movie populated by Pokemon is such a fascinating and exciting concept. Um, so based on that, based on what you know, based on how you grew up with Pokemon, was this a sort of successful translation to live action? I think on a level of artistic merit and animation and doing a live action hybrid Pokemon film, I do think it works on the level that they went with a grounded design for the Pokemon And Rhyme City is this place where the Pokemon and the humans live one by one. And, you know, they're just walking around together, little Charmanders and Squirtles crossing the street with people in business suits. And for the world-building aspect alone, I do think Detective Pikachu pulls it off. It's not the Pokemon I remembered, and, you know, the story may have evolved over the years that the show has been running. But to me, I was more of like, you know, again, the Game Boy games are red, red and blue, you know, you have a trainer who's going around. He wants to be the greatest trainer in the world. And you raise Pokemon by catching them. And in Detective Pikachu, it's this different world where everyone lives together. And the Pokemon all live together. And you have a partner Pokemon. You just have one. And he, like, walks around with you. He doesn't stay in the Pokeball and stuff like that. So it was very interesting uh, on a nostalgic level to watch this Pokemon world that I no longer understood on a level that was completely connected, but, but could still appreciate the fact that, holy crap, you know, we're we're watching this world where Pokemon have come to life and they do. I really do get lost in that kind of world. And I did feel myself really become part with rhyme city. Oh, sorry. I thought you were going forward. I'll cut, I'll cut the the dead air out of there. Um, no, I, I a hundred percent agree. Um, in terms of the, the world building of the movie, um, and yeah, it, it must've, cause I, I, if I'm not mistaken and I, I wish I did uh, more research, there is a detective Pikachu game out there, which I am, there is. okay. Yep. Which I am not familiar with in, in any way, shape or form. So I, I'd be very curious to just like go to YouTube and watch a walkthrough of the game just to see if it is any similar to what this movie is. Um, but I liked it from the sort of like who framed Roger Rabbit aspect of it, the, yeah. the, like the Pokemon and the humans live together and that it is a uh at least for the first half of the movie like a, a detective story um the the look of it the sort of like the neon glow it's it's got like a pseudo blade runner aesthetic to it yeah. which was pretty awesome i think the score in the movie too the um 
scored by Henry Jackman is like an, an even an improvement over his uh, scores for the Wreck-It Ralph films that it's like sort of like sub Vangelis from Blade Runner, but it's got like these little eight bit notes too that, that kind of sound like the Game Boy game uh, mixed in with it. I thought that was all really cool. Um, I thought, yeah, I think the look of the movie is spectacular and I gotta say, I was, I was really with the first half of this movie. Um, like, like all the way, I, I think it's a, I think it's a pretty smart kids movie that in the way that it tackles like some harder themes about like, about loss themes, about, um, sort of being stuck in your position in life. Uh, our protagonist, Tim played by justice Smith is like, uh, as, as I mentioned in my, uh, mangled introduction for the movie uh he you know he he's an accountant but he wanted to be a pokemon trainer um there's uh, another character in the movie uh, um played by katherine newton who's a intern at a news station who wants to like be a journalist and get the scoop but she's writing like buzzfeed style articles about like the top 10 cutest pokemon which is a pretty funny <laughs> joke in the movie she's like oh they're all cute so that's just silly um it reminded me of an Amblin film in that way, like in in the way that it's like younger people having an adventure in a genre that's typically aimed for an older audience. And I don't feel like it talks down to kids, at least in the first half. Um, but I think yeah. the second half of this movie, when it becomes when it switches from like a detective story to an action movie, I, I like it's still the world is still impressive but i feel like what was made it kind of special in that first half is becomes a little bit standard issue because i think the action is pretty clunky through through a lot of it yeah and i agree with you in the first half um it's a film noir with training wheels which is really nice because you get the aspects of you know hard-boiled detective stuff and detective pikachu you know the over-caffeinated little rodent who's also a brilliant private eye and all this stuff that was really well done it really feels kind of at times like it's paying paying respect to old humphrey bogart films and stuff like that mm-hmm. and i know that's crazy to say in a movie about a detective pikachu but it does it works and the chemistry between justin smith uh wait uh, sorry not justin um the chemistry between justice smith and ryan reynolds voicing detective pikachu is great it's all bang on it's perfect mm-hmm. i think it's it it loses steam in the second half because it's so haphazardly written and the story itself doesn't matter as much as look at the Pokemon on screen. That's what the film becomes towards the end. And we'll say, I'll I'll save my full thoughts for when we get to spoilers because it all kind of unravels in that third act for me. But up until then it's a blast, you know, you get to see Psyduck doing his little Psyduck thing, grabbing his head and, fighting off migraines and stuff like that and ryan reynolds is like basically making fun of him the whole time ryan reynolds is doing what ryan reynolds does best honestly as as pikachu but um you know you get these opening moments with cubone and tim's character and you know like tim doesn't have a pokemon partner like you said he's a working stiff he's not being the trainer anymore so all those notes are really well and good, but even as they start to establish the family loss and the tragedies that have befallen Tim's family, it's kind of underbaked and they don't do enough service to justify his emotional reactions, I think, at some point. Yeah, I, I would, know it's 
Yeah, go. Oh, no, I would say I would I would agree with that. I think the I think the to to Justice Smith's credit, I think his performance i think his performance does a lot of heavy lifting where the movie is trying to um in the structure like i i don't think it's any fault of his but um we we definitely have to talk about that more in spoilers but the the sort of flashback structure in this movie is like (laughs) where i start to tune out a little bit um it's 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 pretty choppy it's pretty rough um and at least in the beginning, it's sort of like, there's like one or two, and you're like, okay, I guess this is a shorthand way to dole out exposition. This is okay. But then, like, especially as it gets to that back half that is just not as strong overall, um, th- it, there's one happening, I feel like, every, like, ten minutes or so, and yeah. it just becomes pretty pretty rough and pretty haphazard, especially because that first half of the movie, I think it's pretty at ease with itself. I agree with you that it pays homage to like Humphrey Bogart movies. And I think a lot to, and where it stumbles is I think of like the big sleep, or I even think of like uh, Robert Altman's the long goodbye, where it's like those sort of gumshoe movies where the plot is besides the point. Um, And I think it tries to do that and it works best while it's doing that. But then it remembers that it's a kid's movie and it has to have the plot. And so there's a definitely a turning point, And I think you know what I'm talking about where like yeah. plot threads are revealed and you're like, okay, I'm ahead of this movie now. Like I know, I know exactly. Yeah, entirely ahead of it. And yeah. <laughs> that is a huge problem for me. The child versus adult argument here, because, you know, it's hard to say that this is a bad movie. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad movie by any means, but I'm just trying to throw out there that this is a movie made for kids. If an adult walks out and goes, this is a bad movie, they're wrong because the children are going to love this. That's the whole point of detective Pikachu. It's playing down towards its audience and it's going to go over gangbusters for kid, children of those age, because you're going to see all the Pokemon you recognize. Um, you're going to see there's a Pokemon that's name is literally, Loudred, and it just has these giant ears that are like amplifiers and the edm dj diplo has a, a cameo in this film as a dj at a pokemon <laughs> battle and he has a bunch of these little louders hanging out with him and like they're his amplifiers and it's just hilarious to see how the pokemon and humans work together and again that's all well and good and children are gonna laugh at that they want they don't know who diplo is i mean the adults don't know who diplo is anyway but right <laughs> It's funnier watching these little Pokemon do these funny things and interact with humans. You know, Squirtles or firefighters, stuff like that. It's great. I love it. But again, it plays down to the children and it doesn't it doesn't really do anything to service the adults taking the children to the audience. And I kind of felt like I was in that middle ground where I still had enough of that nostalgia and I had enough of that kind of energy in myself where I could appreciate it on the level of a child in a way. But as I've now just turned 30 in my mature ways, I'm sitting here watching the film, not really invested, not really caring 100% because I'm going, wow, you're really not going to service this story well at all. And I'm looking at it as a filmmaking aspect. And that's where it really stumbled for me. And that's where it's going to be very divisive between, you know, a review from a child that's sub 10, maybe even. And a review from an adult who's 45 going, what the hell are these Pokemon and what are they doing? Right. No, totally. And one thing I did 
think about the movie. Like, I tried to approach the movie as I was watching it from the standpoint of, what if I had no knowledge of Pokemon? Like, would I be able to get into this movie? Which obviously is difficult because I do have that knowledge. So to try and do it without it. But I do feel like the movie, there. I think there's extra little things like like the moment you mentioned uh, with the amplifiers and, and watching them work together that will work more for people who have that understanding but to understand the story which maybe speaks to just how kind of simplistic it gets towards by the end of it uh i don't think any adult watching it will be lost in terms of what's happening necessarily um i the one thing i thought too is like i wanted to i just didn't have time and i was also maybe scared too i was going to try and rewatch pokemon the first movie uh, before our discussion, because I remember going to see that in the theater. My dad went to take me, um, and like that had to for somebody who knows nothing about Pokemon is just taking their their kid to go see it. Like that movie had to be miserable to sit through. I feel like um, I don't feel like this movie will be miserable for people this for adults to sit through to take their kids to. No, I don't. I don't think it'd be miserable. But you know, I did read some reactions online. I forget who said it, but, you know, they out and out just said, this movie is not for me. I am not the demographic. I am a middle-aged man who, you know, doesn't have that kind of dazzly-eyed reaction to Pokemon anymore. And I wouldn't even know where to begin reviewing this film because it's just not for me and that wouldn't be fair. So I do think a lot of people are going to be struck by that. I do think that the film serves fans of Pokemon not film fans you know this is a mass marketable kind of monopoly on like children's entertainment the pokemon brand Mm -hmm. and they're selling themselves that's what they're doing with this movie they're selling pokemon stuff and it's hard if you don't have that background in pokemon i think to get in really excited about it i do think they put a wall up and i do think they assume everyone sitting in those seats knows pokemon and if you don't, it's kind of just like a screw you, yeah, like catch up if you can. But then again, what you said, the story itself, once that, that twist happens, or if you want to call it a twist, yeah, you're 10 steps ahead of the movie and you know where it's going to end already. And you're just like, huh, okay. So I just beat the movie to the finish line and we have 20 minutes left. Right, exactly. I, I'd argue even more than that. Yeah, and that's our and that's where that's where it was hard for me to to review it. And I think we're probably at the point where we can pivot to spoilers here shortly. But like again, I I, I just to reiterate what I said earlier, and I, I wholeheartedly stand by like I like the first half of this movie. And I thought it was like really charming and really enjoyable. I think the the easy chemistry between Ryan Reynolds and Justice Smith is really there. And I think Ryan Reynolds is such a you know he's an underrated dramatic actor too um who yeah. he can also sell like there there's moments that would like require like a little bit of a emotional tug at the heartstrings and he can sell that and he he 100% does um it's i think the movie um uh, the plot just gets in the way of the movie um when they should be working in tandem um and that's frustrating um uh, one thing to mention i guess before we get into spoilers there are also speaking of adults going to see this movie there are jokes in this movie that will go way over kids' heads from oh yeah from pikachu like there were moments where like i was chuckling but i'm like wait how did they get how did they slip this into this movie or like there was a seinfeld reference i'm like no kids gonna know serenity now like (laughs) so um i thought that was um 
I, I, I think there's some stuff here for adults with no familiarity, but I do think you're right that like they're, they're, they're banking on Pokemon hard and, um, understandably i think this is the first time since super mario brothers that nintendo has licensed out their characters for a live action movie i know yeah so there had to be a certain level of confidence that it was going to play to the right crowds and i i think detective detective pikachu will because the film at its best is when the humans are interacting with the pokemon not humans interacting with humans who cares about that it 100 percent is when you know Catherine newton's uh, journalist character Lucy, you know, taking her Psyduck around and coddling Psyduck and playing the the calming music in the car, and Ryan Reynolds' uh, Pikachu has to give Psyduck a foot massage because he needs to be <laughs> as calm as possible the whole time. All that stuff plays so well. I love it. There's a great Ditto reference, and you know, we'll talk about it in the spoilers. I won't say what, but Ditto is a great character in this film. So all the Pokemon stuff, amazing. There's a Bulbasaur scene. My friend next to me watching it just got so giddy and happy and excited watching the Bulbasaurs all work together. And that's the magic of this movie. When it's in those moments, you are completely engulfed in this Pokemon world because they look real. They are so pure and so amazing. And then one of the themes of Detective Pikachu that I kind of picked up on was this thing about how you know humanity takes these things that are so pure uh, in nature and just destroys them and manipulates them and we do terrible things to mother nature like it has this like eco-friendly undercurrent too which i was just like oh wow you're really gonna try to slip that in there oh yeah absolutely which honestly it's a little maybe uh haphazardly put in there but haphazard is the word of this review (laughs) (laughs) it's true well that's the buzzword that is that is 100 percent the buzzword well regardless of its haphazardness i think there there was a lot of charm that um that 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 won me over but i do think um let's pivot to spoilers because i think most of my most of my issues are gonna come from that section so spoilers for detective pikachu starting right now who's that pokemon it's pikachu Uh, so for me, we'll talk about the flashbacks in which they obscure a certain character. But um, I mean, for me, the big turning point was when uh, uh, Justice Smith's character is recruited by Bill Nye's character to go solve what happened yeah. to his father. Because I'm like, oh, okay, you're the villain of this movie. I mean, I guess when you cast Bill Nye, it's almost like a spoiler in and of itself. Because you're like, oh, <laughs> of, of course you're the villain. But um but like that became super obvious that it was like, oh, okay, so the Mewtwo isn't actually bad, and he's just a puppet and all this. Um, but then, yeah, there's these fl- so these flashbacks that we were alluding to in the non-spoiler section um, that that use a lot of shorthand to tell the backstory uh, of Will's family. Um, they conveniently obscure his father. <laughs> it's, it's not even conveniently this is the most blatant every time they show him his back is turned he's every every single frame they won't let you see the father's face and they make a point of not letting you see it like it's not even subtle they're not doing little camera movements or stuff like that like they are clearly putting the father in frame and not letting you see who it is to be like oh i wonder who the father could be and it's like okay can, can i can i say it? 
Can I spoil it? Yeah, of course. We're in spoilers. Go for it. Good. It's Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> Obviously, it's Ryan Reynolds because this, and this is where it gets so convoluted for me. In the world of the movie, Ryan Reynolds' character, who we know is the father now, the car gets his car gets thrown off a bridge, and Mewtwo we think has done it, but it turns out Mewtwo is trying to save him. So laying next to each other outside the wreckage of the car are Ryan Reynolds and his Detective Pikachu. And Mewtwo puts Ryan Reynolds in Detective Pikachu, and that's why Tim can understand him. But also, how does Tim not know his father's voice? Yes, I was wondering the same exact thing. It drove me nuts. Because at the end of the movie, I was I was, <laughs> I was, was so of like two minds. Because I'm like, okay, well that was silly. And we knew this was coming. Um, the one, the one and only thing I liked about that is that, um, it's like a rare sort of blockbuster to me that isn't trying to butter you up for the next installment. Um, I mean, if this thing does gangbusters, of course they're going to try and do another one, but I feel like it at least tells a complete story. Like I give it credit for that. Um, they can't do the exact same premise again, but it, it baffled me from the standpoint of like okay we we clearly saw this coming and then yeah how does he not know his father's voice like that that is the weirdest thing to me right because for obviously for everyone listening the reveal at the very end of the movie is that Mewtwo takes his father out of the Pope Pikachu again after the day has been saved and you know you see Ryan Reynolds like hey son like he just saunters over and it's like it's still the same voice and then in the same kind of way at that point I'm thinking okay so was Pikachu just the father the whole time, or was it a Pikachu's brain that was trying to cope with being human? Because there's a, a funny gag is that Pikachu drinks a billion cups of coffee. He's always drinking coffee, and he's like a little caffeine addict. But then when Ryan Reynolds is himself at the end of the movie, they go out of their way to make this comment like, huh, I really crave a cup of coffee right now. Or like, you know, I've really been jonesing for a cup of coffee that makes it suggest like he doesn't like, like he, he never drinks like coffee like that. So it just made the whole experience so strange because I didn't know what the point of him being inside the Pikachu was besides, you know, preservation and like who was in control, who wasn't. It, it just didn't think about the little details versus, Oh, look at this emotional payoff. That'll be sweet. Right, yeah, it's it was it was you know to go back to our buzzword, it was haphazardly done because <laughs> yep. like the logic, I I feel like, and it also betrays a little bit what I thought the movie was doing so well. Like even even in its weaker moments, like the sort of internal logic of the movie was relatively sound. I feel like in terms of like okay, this is how this world operates. Uh, these are how these people coexist. Here are the rules. And then I feel like that completely goes against everything that it had done, like, prior to it. Yeah, exactly. And it comes out even harder, the quote-unquote haphazardness of Detective Pikachu. When Bill Nye is revealed as the villain, we all know what's happening. And his plot is to put himself into Mewtwo's body because Bill Nye has... You know, he's had a crippling disease for a while. That's what sends him into the wild to study Pokemon. And he has this whole spiel about Pokemon can help us evolve ourselves and evolve to be better people. What he really meant 
is I'm going to make a Mewtwo, put my brain in it, and then I'm going to turn y'all into Pokemon, which all comes out in storytelling in a matter of like two minutes. This whole elaborate plot where he plans to use this crazy-ass gas, and if the Pokemon smell it, Mewtwo can basically take the humans and put them inside their poke like none of it makes sense nothing is explained about how this could works it just happens and again like in a matter of like five minutes and you're going like oh they're they're just gonna go off the rails they're not even gonna tell us what's happening right now like you're just gonna launch into this evil villain plot and i don't even know what's going on with a similar uh uh mechanism for uh (laughs) dispelling the gas as the uh first tim burton batman movie where the joker has the gas in the in the parade balloons it's like the exact same thing um yeah that was that was frustrating because it's like even like i said before even even as the midpoint after um like bill nye talks with tim and you're like okay this person is clearly the villain but why um and then there's like further mystery and then there's like a large-scale action sequence that's it's a little clunky um but even then, it's like you're still on the mystery journey. Like, you're still on the trek. You're still following this. And then, yeah, just like somebody forgot to put a uh, a breadcrumb out somewhere to lead to this villain plot because it just feels like it happens immediately. Yeah, no, there's there's no breadcrumbs. Like, not even just one. They're, like, they didn't use the entire canister of breadcrumbs. It's hilarious <laughs> to me that it all happens so quick. But... As I mentioned before, there's a fantastic Ditto scene because Ditto is Bill Nye's uh, partner Pokemon. And what Ditto does is mimic the humans in Bill Nye's life. And Ditto is played by Suki Waterhouse in in its own human form. And then it plays, you know, Ditto becomes his son. Ditto becomes these different security guards and stuff like that. And he, Ditto is always wearing sunglasses because obviously Ditto has these black beady eyes. And the first time Ditto takes the sunglasses off as a human and you just see the like the beady eyes in a human, I burst out laughing. That was a perfect scene. <laughs> it's a good sight gag. There's a lot of good sight gags in this movie. Um, yeah. You know, specifically regarding the Pokemon. I mean, there's the one that people picked out of the trailer immediately with Jigglypuff. Um, Oh yeah. uh, We, I don't even think we talked about the Mr. Mime interrogation scene, which I think is very funny. Cause that, that's been all, yeah, it's hilarious, but that's been all over the trailers and it does go a little longer. So you do get to see more of it, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean like going into it, I was like, Oh, the Mr. Mime scene. Okay. This is, this is happening now. And you see most of it. So it's, it's still, it's funny. I just wish they would have saved more of it. Right. And then there's another sort of plot thread, too, I guess to go back to the confusion of, like, how the mechanism of Ryan Reynolds' character's brain being in a Pikachu works. Uh, There's another plot point in that he can't use his powers, or at least doesn't know how to use his powers, um, you know, specifically in a fight scene um, with, uh, well, you know what, actually, I just, I just thought there's been a, there was a little bit of breadcrumb. In the movie, now that I think about it, with the with the gas. <laughs> Explain. Well, no, with the gas anyway. Like, they're trying to figure out, there's this, like, you know, it's like a street drug, sort of. Like, right. the, the gas that makes the Pokemon sort of go crazy. The, uh, uh, not Diplo, but the other other guy with Diplo has a Charizard, and then there's a battle scene with him and the Pikachu, and he gives the Charizard the, uh, the gas, which makes him just, like, go insane. So, like, I guess there was that element to it. 
um the motivation not necessarily was was no breadcrumbs there but at least like that sort of uh gas plot device was sort of built up but i'm grasping at straws though for that admittedly yeah no and and i totally get it. it like it definitely is there but then you have you know rita ora's character it only exists in flashbacks and you're trying to yeah. piece together like how that plays and with everything. And, you know, it's one of those movies that basically everyone is working for each other, but they never explicitly say it. And they just keep showing the characters separately. And it's all like at the end, it's like, Oh yes, uh, she was working for me too. And he was working for me and I employed your father and I employed this guy. And it's just like, all right, you're really going to coincidentally just tie everything together in one little monologue. I mean, they did. For, for... Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would, the answer is yes. The rhetorical answer is yes, you can. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's that's the biggest misopportunity of this movie is like, it's the one thing I think that keeps it for me. Like, like I said, I, I, I do appreciate a lot of it. I appreciate that um, there's, there's themes that want to touch on that maybe some kids movies wouldn't. It's definitely it's far from a miserable movie to sit through, but there's just yeah no agreed. But it's like it it's like almost a better than just a kids movie. Like it's somewhere in between better than a kids live action adventure movie and just being a solid one. And it's it's uh like that middle being in that middle ground is like almost more frustrating. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, to me, it's not Paddington. It's not Goosebumps. No. It's not one of those films that can resonate on so many levels of layered emotion and layered uh, storytelling depth and being able to entertain to a vast audience. Agreed, but it's also not like – Yeah, yeah, but it's also not like – I, I don't know, like the secret life of pets or something. You know, Dougal. Like, like Dougal. Yeah. Dougal. <laughs> oh my sick Dougal reference. Bro. <laughs> right. I've been saving that one for a while. Oh my God. I forgot. We ran that at, at, uh, um, <laughs> the, one of the theaters I worked at in high school. Cool. It did I not do well. Anyway, no, <laughs> but I digress, but it's not that either. Like it, it's, no, it's, def- no. it's definitely a cut above like that, but it, it's, again it almost makes it more frustrating because you're like you're you're almost there it's like you tweak that here you tweak this there like you're almost there but it just it just makes some unfortunate storytelling missteps but i i i gotta admit i was still i was still charmed by this movie despite everything that's wrong with it because pikachu is just so damn adorable that it's like oh man you can't fight it (laughs) you You cannot fight fight it it. (laughs) um is there any other uh, stuff you want to talk about the movie before we wrap up that we may have missed? Yeah, I just think the hilarious aspect of Act 3 happening at a pro-Pokemon parade, it just feels like the most meta-pandering thing I've ever seen. Like, a Pokemon movie that literally has a Pokemon parade in it with Pokemon floats and Pokemon balloons going around. And it's like, look, more Pokemon. Look at our Pokemon things. And it's just going like, oh my god. Like, you're really just marketing the hell out of your product in this movie, aren't you? Well, I mean, it, it, it's definitely more blatant than most. I will... Like, like, even, like, versus the Lego movie, which, like, yeah, every scene of the Lego movie is selling Legos because it's built of Legos. But I didn't feel the market being thrust upon me like that, where I'm watching that last scene of, like, you know all the hyped up Pokemon people with the balloons and, you know, carrying around and 
it just feels like, wow, you're really just playing the fan servicing so hard and trying to sell your product. Oh, for sure. Well, I mean, the Lego movie, of course, like, you know, wow, you know, it's a corporate product. It's also biting, biting the hand, too. Detective Pikachu doesn't doesn't dare to do any of that, um, you know, be that, you know, whoever made that decision, maybe the Pokemon company, maybe Nintendo, um, you know, obviously, as I mentioned, because in fear that, uh, you know, they, they had another Super Mario Brothers on their hands and they didn't want that to happen. So who knows what the reason is. Uh, but I agree, it is blatant and it's obvious. Um, it, it doesn't hinder it for me, but it makes me go, oh, well, you're going to sell a crap load of merchandise from this movie. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I guess that's all we got. That's Detective Pikachu. Um, it's out. Well, I guess it's only Wednesday. So it, as of this recording anyway, by the time you listen to it, uh, it will be out in theaters. Um, so we're, I don't know. We say it's haphazard, <laughs> obviously. It's haphazard fun. It, it, it is haphazard fun. It is. Uh, it I, is. For me, like, if I was going to give it a number rating, which I am in my review, it's a three out of five. It's that perfect kind of, yeah, you watched a movie, you were in the world, you had some fun, and you walked out going, sure. Could have been worse. Agree. No, it could have been much, much worse. I, I, I think... You know, despite its faults, it's it certainly in aspects better than it had any right to be, given the premise is kind of insane. Um, and it doesn't quite overcome that, but um, but it makes some strides. So it's out there. Uh, you know, comment on this uh, podcast if you see it. Um, we'd love to hear from it. Um, Matt, thank you so much for uh, joining me and talking to me about Te- Detective Pikachu. Where can we find more of you on the web? Uh, I say the easiest point instead of uh, retelling all those places you listed before. Uh, just follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Donato Bomb, and you can just find all my writing there. Yes, it's there, um, and it's good stuff. Uh, is there a piece you've done recently? Well, of course, there's a piece you've done recently. You've done many pieces recently, but is is there anyone in particular that you want to give a shout out that listeners should check out? Um, yeah, I, I've actually been really hyped on my Adam tickets, uh, which is being, you know, the site is actually Adam Insider, and you, you've probably all used Adam tickets to purchase some movie tickets in your life, uh, and now they're doing more content. So I've had the chance to really dive into some more, like, personal pieces over there, and whether it was my reaction, like, Jordan Peele is a horror filmmaker, I, you know, really proud of that article, and also I just wrote about, you know, my reaction to Avengers Endgame, and not thinking I was really into the franchise to that point, like 22 movies in, but I walked out of Endgame like crying and weeping. So that was a really interesting article to write about how I realized in one film that I cared so deeply about this goddamn universe. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So no, those are good pieces over there at Adam. So listeners, be sure to go check those out. Uh, before we sign off, just a reminder that the Playlist Podcast is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network. So if you enjoyed this show, be sure to subscribe to us via Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, however you get your podcasts, and you'll get this show as well as our other shows like Adjust Your Tracking, like Be Real, Indie Beats, um, and just, you know, drop us a line, comment, uh, you know, let us know what we're doing right, what we can improve on. But thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.